Again, I'm so glad to be back together. It's crazy, man. We haven't done this since like before spring break. It's weird. I don't want to overlook and or ta- ever take for granted what we're able to do right now. It's, it's I, I never experienced, I never anticipated having to go that long without it. And I know maybe you feel the same. Uh, and I just reiterate again. I say that too because I, you, you, you can, your students, and so you know, I um, mean, the university's putting, adding all these restrictions and precautions. You're wearing your mask outside, even and stuff like that. I don't know, maybe because I don't know if it's spiking on our campus, or I know they may have seen some things like at University of North Carolina. You know, they had to go back to online only, and maybe they don't want to have to do that. It's people are having to move out of the dorms and stuff. Over there, I'll say all that to say, be grateful that we're not at that point right now. And let's just all continue to do what we can do to keep each other, keep ourselves safe. It's a precious gift to be able to meet together and for anything, eat together, visit, but especially for worship and to be able to sing at the top of your lungs. Praise the one who set me free. That being said, if you got your Bible, uh, find the New Testament book of 1 John. First John, this is a wobbly stage we got up here, boys. Tonight we're beginning our uh, our fall study, like I mentioned earlier, through the Apostles' Creed. I mentioned that this past Sunday, that on, on Sunday mornings, and if you were here this past Sunday morning, you saw a glimpse of this. Our, our practice on Sunday mornings is to just take a book of the Bible and study straight through that book of the Bible. So this, this school year, fall and spring, it's the Gospel of John. So we looked at John 1, 1 through 5 this past Sunday. So if you come back this next Sunday, we're going to pick up at verse 6. So you know what to look forward to, and you can read it ahead of time. And you'll get I promise you, you'll get more out of it if you'll read it ahead of time and think about it for yourself before you come and listen to me say a word about it. But on Wednesday nights, we're still in the Scriptures, but it is more topical. Um, and, and it might be... I know one semester we did we did different we've we've done cultural issues we've done uh, just different uh, temptations and struggles we personally struggle with anxiety we've done topical things like that uh, we sometimes we do biblical and theological topics and not not necessarily studying through a book straight through but and so uh, this fall we're going to be studying through the Apostles Creed some of you may have no idea before tonight what that is. You read it, and you're like, well, that's okay, but I've never heard of that. Um, uh, so it may have been the first time you've ever laid your eyes on it, and you may wonder what in the world does it mean in a couple of different places. Should I have said, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, little c. Um, and then we ain't Catholic, but it, so why do we say it? Some of you may have grown up in a tradition where you said that, if not every week, every now and then, and so you've heard it before. Maybe you never really... Maybe you said it, but you never just really thought about it. So um, anyway, either way, whether you've never heard of it or you could say it in your sleep, this is an, an to me, this is an enormously important time um, to, to be acquainted with it and to understand what it says, what it's affirming. So our plan this fall is to work our way through it, phrase by phrase, or at least a few phrases at a time until Thanksgiving in November when, sadly, you guys are, isn't that sad? we, we got to stop so early. But uh, we'll be in a completely come back in the fall, in the spring. So, all right, what is the Apostles' Creed? 
What is the Apostles' Creed? Um, well, uh, it's not called the Apostles' Creed because the Apostles wrote it. Um, it is a it so there is a strand uh, or a tradition or th- that thinks that um, one of the different apostles wrote each of the apostles wrote a different line of it or something like that. But no, 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 uh, that doesn't that doesn't hold up to scrutiny. But so if it wasn't written by the apostles, um, why is it called the Apostles' Creed? Well, it it is as old as almost the time of the apostles. Uh, we we know that. We find evidence of this creed that we read earlier in the service. We have evidence of it being around as early as the second century, which would be the generation just after the apostles. So the apostles would have known the guys that might have written this creed in their lifetimes. So second century, this thing is old. But if it wasn't written by the apostles, why is it called the apostles' creed? Because it is considered to be an accurate summary of what the apostles taught and what the apostles wrote down in the scriptures. And if you think about it, if you if you look back on the liturgy, if you read practically every line of it is is taken straight from scripture with only a couple of lines you not, you need to take a closer look. This, the apostles creed like any other creed or confession uh, is never meant to replace scripture. It's never even supposed to stand uh, as an equal to Scripture, but basically to summarize the basic teachings of Scripture, especially the most basic beliefs of every Christian. So if, if, if somebody said, what are, what are the basic things that Christians believe? What are the most basic things that a Christian believes? You could say the Apostles' Creed, and that would be a true thing. That would be a succinct answer of what any Christian anywhere in the world, really, ought to be able to summarize their faith by saying, um, and, and what we find is that in the earliest, earliest days that we can trace back in history, the earliest days, even into the second century, this creed was used in baptismal cer- uh, services. Like um, the church in the, in the early days, the second century, they would often hold their baptismal services on special days. So like on Easter Sunday, they would have a big baptismal service. And when a candidate for baptism would, would come forward on Easter Sunday and they would go down into the water, uh, they would have gone down into the water, they would have been asked first, do you believe in God the Father Almighty? And they standing in the water uh, would have replied, I believe. And they would have been plunged under the water. When they came up, they would have been asked again, do you believe in Christ Jesus, the Son of God, who was born of the Holy Spirit and married the virgin and was crucified under Pontius Pilate and dead and buried and rose on the third day alive from the dead and ascended into the heavens, sits at the right hand of the Father, will come again to judge the living and the dead. And they would have said, I believe. And they would have been plunged again, come up and, uh, and being immersed the second time, they would come up and ask the third question, do you believe in the Holy Spirit and the, the Holy Church and the resurrection of the flesh? And the third time, I believe. And they would have been immersed a third and final time. And this is why, if you're looking at the, uh, at the creed, that this is why, in the final form as we have it today, it still bears that mark with that threefold, I believe, I believe, I believe. That's, that's from the earliest days like of the church and their baptismal uh, service. Um, and this phrase, I believe, is the phrase we're going to begin with tonight, thinking about. 
which again it's repeated twice more. What 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 does that what can we learn from that those two simple words in the in the creed? The first two words that are repeated twice more, I believe. Before we say anything else, I believe in God the Father Almighty. I believe. What does what what can we learn from that? How do we think about that? And let me just say one thing before we dig into it about why we're looking at the Apostles' Creed this fall. I really feel like at this cultural moment, um, we need to be reminded of the fundamental and most important beliefs and practices of the Christian faith. Not, not only because not only because at any given time is is culture like a current that is that is uh, always trying to take our our loves with it and take our assumptions about reality with it. It's always trying to inform us and take us where it is going. And if we're not, if we're not consciously grounded, if we're not aware of that, and we're not consciously grounding ourselves on purpose in what is most basic, culture will take us with it before we ever even realize it. It's true. I've given this example before, but I, I always think of this when I say something like that. When I, was, when I was little, I remember going to the beach one time with my family, and I was playing in the, in the ocean. My family were still on the, on the beach in their chairs or whatever, and I'm bobbing up and down in the water having a good time, and they're talking and talking and talking, and I'm bobbing and bobbing and playing. And I do that for several minutes, and then I'm ready to get out, and I look up at the beach, I want to know, where did my parents go? And I'm little, so I start freaking out, right? But then I, God was kind to me. I look this way, and there my parents are, down the beach a little bit. And so I went to them. But they were talking. They didn't even notice I'd gone anywhere. I'm not going to cast aspersions on them. They're good parents. But I certainly didn't know I was going anywhere. I'm just bobbing up and down. And every time I bob up, you know, the, the tide never goes in like that. It goes like this. And every time I go up, it carries me a little bit further away. And I was not actively trying to stay where I was. Culture's like that. It wants to take your loves. You, love, you know this is what I'm supposed to love, but it presents you with this love. And it wants to take you toward that love and toward that assumption about reality. That's another thing we need to, another reason we need to constantly be, bring ourselves back to what is most basic. But secondly, for the past six months, we have been so isolated from each other. We've just been so isolated from each other and from the larger church body that when we finally get to come back together, we need to remember who we are and what we're about, what it means to be a Christian. So what better place to start than the most ancient summary of the Christian faith, other than the Bible itself, that we have on earth, the Apostles' Creed. The proper way of reminding ourselves of, what, you know, grounding ourselves, if we want to say we need to remind ourselves of who we are, the proper way to ask that question is, what has the Christian church always believed from the beginning? Because that's what I want to be a part of. So um, that's what we're going to do in the Apostles' Creed. Before we get to the words of the creed, though, we're going to start with the words of the Lord our God. So, Hence, I asked you to open to 1 John chapter 5. So let's read the first five verses of this. It pertains to what we're going to be thinking about tonight. 1 John chapter 5, 
beginning in verse 1. John writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, everyone who believes, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And, this com- and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Let's pray. Father, what we just read, what we just just now read, this is your holy and inspired and inerrant, sufficient, clear, authoritative, necessary word. We are studying the words of uh, the Apostles' Creed, and they they are merely the words of men, and they are only true insofar as they flow out of this inspired word. But it is still useful for our instruction because it has been for the whole church of Uh, the whole history of the church. So would you please give us your grace as we look at the words of the creed, but more fundamentally at the the words of Scripture. Would you give us eyes to see the truth where it is to be found? Would you give us minds to understand what we need to understand? Would you give us hearts to embrace and love and care about what is important? Would you give us wills to obey whatever you would have us to do? Give us all ears to hear. Give me the help that I need to teach. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I love that passage in 1 John. In the simplest way, John, at the beginning and at the end of it, lays out the importance of what we believe, what we believe, particularly about Christ and the Christian faith. He says on the front end that our belief in Jesus Christ and his gospel proves that we have been born again spiritually. And at the end of it, he says even more forcefully, that because we believe in Jesus and the gospel, we have overcome the world. I mean, that's a, we don't have time to go into all that, but I mean, that, that, that yeah, that's pretty strong. Um, think about what else the scripture says. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Scripture says, and everyone who believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's a big deal. It's no wonder that the creed, the creed begins with the words, I believe, arguably the two most important words in the Bible. Uh, and in, the, and in the, 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 the most important words in the creed itself. So let's consider those, those first two words. Um, what it's teaching us about biblical faith, biblical belief. So I'm going to give you, uh, I'm going to give you some characteristics of biblical faith. If you're taking notes, if you're not taking notes, no judgment, just a little bit, not much. But characteristics of biblical faith, biblical belief that I think we can glean not only from Scripture, but I think through context of this creed brings it to light for us. And here's the first truth about biblical faith, biblical belief that I think is apparent most basically is belief is personal. Belief is personal. I think that's the first and most basic thing that you can say about your faith and your belief in, 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 in even, even when we say it out loud together, when we read the creed, it, it says, I believe. It doesn't say we believe, even as true as that is. It's written, and you say out loud, I believe. 
and this is something I have to do. So it's, it's personal, and that is the very nature of biblical faith, of biblical belief. Nobody else can believe for you, right? You have to do it. You can't put your hope in your parents. Um, you can't put your hope in, 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 in someone else in your family, somebody else that you know. Maybe you've heard something like this. We've got some, our house is upside down right now. We're having some work done on our house, and we had uh, a floor guy the other day put some new floors, and he caught wind that I was a pastor. And uh, it's funny how they clean it up when they do that. I, you, you, by the way, little joke, uh, when you go to, it's not a joke, but it's true, it's, it's a real thing. When I lived in a little small town and I was a pastor, if I ever went to, like, uh, True Value Hardware or something like that, I, it, inevitably, every time I went in, somebody would at the front desk would go, Hey, preacher! And they would say it loud so the guys in the back could hear, Oh, crap, the preacher's here, and so they got to clean up their language and stuff. But this guy was, I mean, he was, he was, he was rough around the edges, and he, he heard, he caught wind that I was a, a, a preacher. Well, he came to me later in the day, and he started uh, telling me, basically let me know that he knew some Christians, too. <laughs> he was just, you know, my, 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 grand, my wife's granddaddy, he was a preacher, you know, that kind of thing, as if that counts for something. I'm not say anything bad about him, but people do that. They, they almost take comfort in somebody else's faith, somebody else's belief. They, you know, um, but Scripture could not be any clearer that one day we will stand before God on our own. I will stand before God, and, and it will matter on that day what I did with the truth of the gospel when it was presented to me. And the Bible is clear that the Lord is saving a people, but He's saving a people one at a time, right? So Jesus said in John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one can come to me, not them, him, one, draws him. John 3, 16, everyone who believes in him should not perish. It could literally be translated, every believing one. That's, that's personal. The promise is for all, but the attainment of that promise is from person to person. So at the outset, when we're looking at the creed, we look at this confession, we can't overlook what is the most obvious aspect of the two opening words, I believe, which exhorts every single one of us to examine our own hearts right off the bat. When, we, and when the first words you say are, I believe, if the Holy Spirit is active in your heart, you're going to ask the question, do I? Do I? Right? And we examine our hearts to, to make sure we have in ourselves a believing heart. And I don't say that. That is not meant to send anybody who is prone to anxiety already into some tailspin of fear thinking, maybe I thought I had a believing heart. Maybe I don't. I, I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to do that. Nobody has perfect, pristine faith. Nobody. Nobody has perfect, pristine faith. Like the man in Mark 9 who said to the Lord Jesus, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And the Lord Jesus commended that man by healing his son. Right? We're, we're, think of what the Bible says. We are saved through faith, not by faith. Okay? The, the words matter. We're saved through faith, not by faith. Salvation is a reality earned for us objectively through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and it is the Spirit of God who sovereignly causes us to be born again so that we desire to trust Him, 
desire to follow him, however perfectly, imperfectly, we do that along the way. And it will be imperfect. It's why, as Luther said, the whole Christian life is one of repentance and faith. Here's what I mean by examine yourself to see if there is within you a believing heart. If you know your own heart, if you know your own heart, and you know as you sit here before God, guy or girl next to you doesn't know, but you and the Lord know that there is complete and utter indifference in your heart to Jesus Christ, to the Scriptures, to all of this. I mean... You came here for the tent. <laughs> you came here for your friends. You came here to be with people. But you know deep in your heart that there is just complete indifference. I don't care toward the Lord Jesus Christ, toward the Scriptures, and, you, and to the promise of the Gospel. And you hear warnings in Scripture to repent and believe. And that doesn't move you in the slightest. That's a, that is a fearful sign of unbelief. That's a fearful sign of unbelief, right? If, if you hear the warnings of Scripture to repent and believe, and, that, and it scares you to death, that's a good sign because that's the Holy Spirit bringing that warning to bear in your heart. But the Scripture and the opening lines of the Apostles' Creed are now exhorting you. If I'm talking to you, come to Jesus. Just come to Jesus. Believe His Word. Listen to the promise of Jesus one more time from John 6, 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Belief is personal. That's the first and most basic truth about biblical faith. It's personal. You must do it. Nobody else can do it for you. We don't, we're not Roman Catholic. So we don't believe there's some treasury of merits of somebody who's gone before you to spill over on you and make up for what you're lacking in. We believe ourselves. But here's, it's not merely personal. Here's the second, second truth. Biblical faith is also communal. Communal. Now, is that not precisely contradictory to everything I just said? Didn't I just spend several minutes hammering the point that faith is personal? And belief in the gospel is something that you do with the help of the Holy Spirit. That you do, though, in your heart toward God. So how can I now say that belief is communal? What does that even mean in the first place? What I mean by that is simply this. In the context of the Apostles' Creed, the statement, I believe, is a confession of faith, not merely to the Lord. Yes, first and foremost, it's a confession of faith of belief to the Lord, but not only to the Lord. It is also a confession that is made to the church. Remember, when did this most often get put into practice in the early church? At a baptismal service of the gathered church. And so the I believe is not just something you say to the Lord. You're saying in the presence of brothers and sisters in Christ. You're saying it in the presence of the church. It is a personal confession of faith, but it is now a confession that is joining one to many, right? And now it's communal. And this, too, is an accurate reflection of the teaching of the apostles in Scripture because there is no conception in the New Testament. I invite you to scour it and come to me with examples. I'll buy you lunch. 
There is no conception in the New Testament of a genuine believer who is disconnected from a local church. Disconnected from a gathered body of people. Um, again, it is, it is to the Lord that we repent of our sins and we make our confession of faith, but it's not only to the Lord. It is in the context of the local church that we, that we make our confession and repentance uh, of faith because that is the context in which our confession of faith is both verified and proven to be true. Right? If I make a confession, of, if I tell somebody, if, if I, no, I don't If I just make a confession of faith between, you know, I, I hear something on the radio or I see it on TV or Internet or something, I watch a YouTube video, and I say, oh, yeah, I, I believe that, but then a week later I'm living like I always live. There's nobody there to say that wasn't true, that wasn't genuine. I need, we need, every one of us needs a church around us to be able to say that person has confessed their faith in Jesus Christ and belief in his gospel, and when I look at them, I see the fruit of that. That's what we need. That's why we need, that's where uh, our, our, our biblical faith is, is verified, proven to be true, and that is where it grows into maturity. And that is another reason, by the way, if this is your first time coming to Lakeview, just to plug something about our church that I, I really value very highly. I know we're having... Uh, this college service right now, but if you came here on Sunday morning and it was mainly college students, but there were a lot of adults in here too, and that we don't we don't just have a college service. We on Sundays we leave here and we go in there with a lot of people who are not our age that don't look like us, don't listen to the same things as us, don't love the same things we love, don't think like we think. They're not like us at all, right? Why is that important? Because we need people like that in our lives. Because if because I, I if I if I surround myself constantly with people that are just like me, I will never see the things that I need to grow out of. And I will never notice the things I need somebody who's gonna rub against me the wrong way. And I have to die to myself a little bit and love them anyway. So surround yourself with people who aren't just like you. That's where do you find that? In a church. And not only that. Belief is communal because there is a, an enormous list of commands that you as a Christian have to obey in, in, in Scripture that we're called to obey before Christ that we simply cannot obey by ourselves. And I'm thinking about all the one another commands. Love one another. Forgive one another. Build one another up. Encourage one another. Bear one another's burdens. Confess your sins to one another. Teach one another. Be generous to one another. And it goes on and on and on, which presumes that there is another. There is another. Like there's more than just you going on. And Hebrews 10.25 exhorts all of us not to neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some, but all the more as you see the day drawing near. A lot of us have heard that verse before, and it's like a hammer. Don't neglect meeting together. And 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 But we don't. We might be familiar with that, that verse, but not familiar with what comes right before it. Right before you have that exhortation, not to neglect meeting together, here's what you have right before that. Three different commands. Let us draw near to God with a, with, with a true heart and full assurance of faith. So draw near to God in full assurance. Two, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Three, 
Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. How do you do that? By not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. It is in the context of being part of a faithful uh, congregation of believers of all generations that we accomplish all those things, that we grow in the assurance of our faith, that we're spurred on to perseverance in our faith when times get hard, that we're stirred up to love and good works. And when we say the Apostles' Creed, yes, we're making that confession personally to the Lord. But yes, we're also doing it in the presence of one another. We're, say, we're saying this together, knowing that God is not simply saving me, He's saving us. And He does it through the working of His own sovereign and mighty hand, but He also uses us to sanctify each, a, each other. Hence, belief is first personal. Nobody can believe for you, but it's also communal. God did not design you and save you to believe alone. Closely related to that, there was a third truth about biblical faith, and that is it is public. It is public. It's personal. It's communal. It's public. We're not going to spend a lot of time here because it's so closely related to what I just said, and there's probably lightning somewhere. It's really closely related to it being communal, but it's just going a step further. Knowing that uh, the apostolic faith that's set forth in the Scriptures exhorts us that, that our, our, our confession of faith is supposed to be accompanied by boldness in the Holy Spirit to confess our faith publicly um, outside the safe agreement of the church. To put this in the, that, that's reflected in the, in the Apostles' Creed. To put this in the context of the Creed, remember that I said that this often in the second century would have been a confession that they made at the Easter baptism service. It's their, their coming out as a Christian publicly in the context of the church. But, but think second century. The persecution that they faced in that day was nothing like we have ever known. Like we have ever known. And they made their threefold profession, I believe, I believe, I believe knowing that they very well might die for it. And scores of them did in horrific ways that we will not go into detail. But they, why, were, why would, even with that knowledge, why would they still stand so publicly and say, I believe, because they knew the promise of the gospel and the promise of eternal life was greater than any comfort that they could enjoy on this earth. And it was certainly more worth, more than worth in, enduring any suffering that they could go through. So they still stood in those waters of baptism to say, not just personally to the Lord and not just communally to the church, but publicly to the world, I believe. But there's more. If there's anything else we can learn about this op from this opening confession, I believe, it is that biblical faith, fourthly, is specific. Biblical faith, biblical belief is specific. All I want to say about this is first, notice what comes after those two words. I believe in God, the Father Almighty. I mean, it's very specific. Which Jesus? The one who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. That one, very specific. Very specific. And these, these truths that we confess here, they are, they are defining. They're defining of someone who claims to be a Christian. 
Are you saying that somebody isn't a Christian until they confess the whole Apostles' Creed? No. More on that in just a minute. Romans 10, 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. I believe that. That doesn't say anything about Pontius Pilate or the Holy Catholic Church, little c. It is true that repentance toward God and, and belief in the lordship of Jesus and his death and resurrection in your place, that simple confession combined with repentance is, is saves you. Okay, You don't have to be a theologian to be saved. But no Christian who genuinely makes that confession, born again of the Holy Spirit, has the work of the Holy Spirit in their life, no, no Christian like that will want to stay in that narrow lane of that tiny little confession for the rest of their lives. They want to read the Bible, and they'll see more than that in the Bible, and they'll want to believe that too. And this creed is so basic beyond all disagreements, it's not about, it doesn't even mention baptism, it doesn't, because people disagree on when and how. It doesn't have anything in here that you might quibble about. It's the things that everybody agrees on from Scripture. So no Christian who has the Holy Spirit within them should refuse to believe and confess it. Even if somebody might not understand every line of it. Doesn't say he descended to hell. Like people know that. We confess to the dead. More on that in a few weeks. Even if some some require some kind of uh, explanation, every Christian and if explained and shown in Scripture, should affirm it, even if they don't understand it all the way. Our fa- in other words, our faith is specific. It's not generic, I believe. What, what do you believe? What, what is it that you're saying you, you, you believe? It's, it's, the faith, it's faith in the message of the Scriptures, faith in the announcement of the gospel, of the person and work of Jesus. That's what we mean by belief is specific. Add to that a fifth related characteristic. And that's not only that it is specific, but it's humble. Humble. Biblical belief is humble. Because biblical faith is specific in that we are professing to believe specific truths set forth in Scripture, as we make our way through the Apostles' Creed, we're going to find that some of it's hard to understand perfectly. There are many truths, many truths that, I, that are taught in the Bible that I don't know fully how to understand it. Band, I am so sorry. Um, but even if I don't understand it all the way, um, I still be- profess my belief that I believe it's true. Because I believe it's true whatever the Lord means. Because I know Him and I trust Him. We don't have to understand everything perfectly to confess our faith and belief in it. I can't explain perfectly the Trinity to you in all its detail, in every minute detail. I can't. I don't know. I can't understand it all. But I believe it, and I, and I profess to believe it. And so I confess it. Even Peter didn't understand everything that Paul wrote in his letters. He says so in Second Peter. That's what I mean by it's not just specific, but it's humble. Uh, we humbly confess that what we specifically believe. Before we close, let's go to two more characteristics of this, and then we'll, uh, we'll bring it to an end. Next to last, belief it, Christian belief is ancient. <laughs> it is ancient. You say, I'm not that old. No, but the truths, this is an old creed, and it goes way back, almost to the Bible itself. 
And the scripture, scripture itself in Jude 3 calls the Christian faith the faith once for all delivered to the saints. I plead with you. <laughs> Don't be enamored by new, shiny, and exciting. Don't. Um, if, if you encounter, I will say that that breeze feels good. If you encounter a church anywhere, I'm not necessarily saying a church here, when you graduate and you move on to where it is you move, if you encounter a church that is claims to be teaching something new and hype every week, maybe reconsider. <laughs> like, there isn't anything new to say. Like, Christianity's old. Been around for thousands of years. There's not anything new to say. There's not a whole lot of new spin I can put on it. This book hasn't changed for thousands of years. So it's so go back to the old. Be enamored with old. Be enamored with boring. It'll serve you well. I, I've told our students many times, what will help you in the day of trouble in your life, and the day of trouble will come, what will help you in the day of trouble is not the thousand new things you heard at church, but the, the one thing you heard a thousand times. So be enamored with old. Finally, final characteristic, biblical faith as set forth in the Apostles' Creed is it is Catholic with a little c. Catholic. What I mean by that and what the Creed means by that is not the Roman Catholic Church, big C, but Catholic with a little c, which means worldwide, universal, for all times, everywhere. That's what Catholic means. So when it later confesses, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, that doesn't mean I believe in Roman Catholicism. It just means I believe that God is not just building His church here. He's building it everywhere. There's a church all over the world. He's saving people everywhere for all time, building His church. And in the same way, the faith that we confess in the Apostles' Creed, which is just a faithful summary of the apostolic teaching of the New Testament, that is what every Christian everywhere for all time should profess to believe. And that is a good thing, too, because there are enough things that already divide Christians. <laughs> There's already enough things that, that divide Christians, some justifiably, some not. But we need to focus on the things that we're all in agreement with. And these things are things we're all in agreement with. Across any other lines that may exist, we can lock arms with brothers and sisters around these truths. John wrote, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So we cry with the earliest Christians, I believe. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to, um, to think through these things. Uh, and I pray that I pray that you would you would help us to um, to be enamored with the ancient things, the old things, not the new, not the hype, the old, the things that you've you've set forth uh, from ancient times, the immovable truth. Help us to go back to that over and over again for the good of our souls, for the glory of Jesus. I pray it in, in Jesus' name.
Amen.